basically it ended up with about half a liter of this methylated spirit alcohol exploding in my hand i was half naked the whole inside of the boat just is on fire it was really painful what's up nomads welcome to your new favorite travel podcast two beers till takeoff the podcast that delivers expert knowledge the information you won't get in your guidebooks and a story that's guaranteed to make you say what the fuck or your money back b you know our episodes are free right Hello and welcome to Two Beers Will Take Off. My name is Phil and I'm here with my guest, Max Campbell. Max Campbell is from Cornwall, UK. And at 21, he decided to sail across the Atlantic Ocean alone from the UK to the Caribbean and back again. At 21, since then, he has rebuilt a bigger boat, Alexer, aka the Floating Hostel, who is a Swan 37 and is currently circumnavigating the globe with a group of friends. Alexa is currently in Mexico and Max is back home in the UK visiting family before crossing the Pacific this winter. You can follow along his journey on his wildly popular TikTok and Instagram accounts, Untied. Welcome to the show, Max. Thank you very much. Um, I should just say that she's called Elixir, like um, the Elixir of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no. Did I, it's, it's maybe the, the Canadian accent coming up. Oh, Alex, Elixir. Oh, maybe. I, I thought you said Alexa. No, no. I, I, I knew that you weren't a big Amazon fan. <laughs> all right that's good that's good man that that mistake how did you how did you come up with the name oh uh, you don't choose the name that the you boats are built like so elixir she was built in 1970 and she was given a name and then um well i mean sailors are superstitious people and generally it's considered bad luck to change the name of a boat um okay. so i've never I've never, that was her name, you know, when I bought her. Uh, yeah. It's the same with the boat I had before, Flying Cloud. She was called Flying Cloud and like, that's her name. Um, and yeah, I, I don't, I don't feel, I wouldn't feel great about, you know, changing a name. So that was just the name she's always had. And I, I think it's a great name. I'm really happy with it. Um, it's Elixir of Life. Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, like, I guess that's if you're looking to get into sailing, which is, you know, uh, something that we're, we're looking to promote today uh mm-hmm. is to maybe look at the boat's name before buying right if you're like ah uh, uh, i'm not i'm not crazy about that one maybe maybe you know, look it elsewhere can swing it it can swing it for a lot of people i think if if um if you yeah if you buy a boat and you're not 100 percent sure about the name then i mean that, that's pretty big like my friend for example he lives in bermuda and um he has just bought a boat it was a hurricane damaged yacht it was written off and he paid it was really cheap it's 40 feet so it's it's a proper like sail around the world boat and paid something like eight grand for it um oh wow you know that's like yeah that can be a house you you can comfortably live on that you can comfortably sail anywhere in the world obviously it needs a bit of tlc because it was um beaten up a bit in a storm anyway um pretty much everything is perfect apart from the name so it's called blue stocking which um i mean it's not so bad but like he's not like over the moon about it you know but i think instead of changing the name he's just gonna he's just gonna split it and rename the boat blue okay that's good i mean blue so I think stocking i think that's fine yeah like you're not completely changing it's 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 better to have blue or blue stocking than like you know i don't know like blue waffle <laughs> <laughs> yeah but anyways moving on so i want to know how you got into sailing because man you were 21 when you first did your 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 big trip across the atlantic ocean how do you like that couldn't have been your first trip like you had to your parents sailors how did you get into it um so 
yeah, I grew up with my mum and my stepdad, and he's a boat builder, okay, so nice. um, he knows how to sail. And but like the main, um, yeah, like the main way that he helped me is he basically taught, like he taught me how to sail, but he taught me a lot about how to maintain a boat and um, you know, like pretty much how to, how to look after one. So from from like a young age, I was like sweeping up sawdust in a boatyard, and um, he had this little dinghy that I used to sail around in um Bristol Harbour. I was I'm from Bristol originally, and nice. uh. And I learned how to all of the basics when I was really young, and I, I, straight away I was really uh, passionate about it from from a super young age. And uh, and and then I sailed dinghies like competitively. I was racing, and it was always something I was really into. But my stepdad gets really bad seasickness, so he never um, we never went really that far. He he we did a lot of sailing around where I'm from, but. Um, but I didn't know anything about sailing across an ocean, for example, uh, yeah. which is totally different to sailing a dinghy around, uh, like, you know, within a few miles of shore. Um, and then when I was 18, I bought this boat, Flying Cloud. She's 22 feet long and she cost 500 pounds. And I knew oh, all wow. of the, yeah, really cheap. And I knew yeah. all of the essentials of how to sail her around. Like I could, you know, I could sail her, but I had no idea how to take her further afield you know across the english channel to france i didn't really have any like navigational knowledge or anything um just then, throw it on the google know, maps and hope hope to make it or yeah pretty much i mean we had a paper <laughs> chart um and yeah so then when i when i finished uni i was 20 me and my best mate we just packed up uh we just basically just packed up all we could inside this 22 foot boat and 22 feet it's small and um and then left for france across the english channel with no real plan of ever coming back again it was kind of funny we're like right we're just gonna go sailing and see what happens we're gonna be and, french, uh, we're gonna be french guys now yeah pretty much <laughs> and um and you know like straight away we were crossing the english channel it's one of the busiest shipping lanes in the world like there's there's a lot of traffic coming down in between the uk and france so we had to figure out like how do you navigate through a shipping channel how do you sleep like because we were sailing overnight it's like how do you how do you continue to sail throughout the night um how do you like tie up in a marina how do you use the anchor all of these things were were things that I hadn't really properly done before so I was sort of like figuring out how to you know like how to travel on a sailing boat um and yeah we sailed we had a great time though sailing down through France and it was August everyone's on holiday and partying and then we got to Spain and Portugal and then in Portugal Harry uh left because he, he was his girlfriend was doing a ski season in the alps so he decided to go out with her and, and then i carried on by myself and that's basically how it all kind of started and then i ended up doing the whole loop of the atlantic and coming back to the uk um so yeah when, it's, it was when, like when your friend left and you were by yourself uh was that was that was that scary for you was that like a holy shit like i'm i'm i need to be self-reliant right now like it's it's only me. Um, well, it was a funny one because I wasn't mentally prepared for that solo travel experience. You know, like I, f- I feel like if you were to if you were to visit another country by yourself backpacking, you you would be prepared to be by yourself. Whereas I was just suddenly alone. And not only was I traveling alone, I was sailing alone. So I had a lot to learn there as well. I had to learn how to sail the boat by myself. Yeah. Um, but honestly, it, it, it all worked out really well. Like he's my best friend and we're still best mates. So it was, I knew that that's what he wanted to do. And, um, yeah, it, 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 it was all good in the end. It was all good. Um, nothing like text testing your friendship, right together in yeah. a boat, you know, nobody else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, we it was all good. It was all good. We got along really well. No, no arguments or anything. Oh, that's good. Then you know it's your real, real good buddy. Um, mm. So just to put it in perspective, how long does a journey across? So, so I know you did, you know, from England down to France, and maybe, maybe just giving the distances and the the amount of time that it takes to sail from you know that distance or from the UK all the way to the Caribbean how long does just just to give it into perspective for people okay so to get from the UK to France is not very far it's about 24 hours to get okay. to get all the way down through I mean it, and then it's just how often do you want to sail because you can do it in a day sails like small trips all the way down to the south of Spain to like Gibraltar or we I went to the south of Portugal, the Algarve, and then from there to the Canary Islands is the next big leg, and that's a week of sailing nonstop. Wow! And then from the Canary Islands to Cape Verde, which is the next group of islands further south off the coast of Senegal, is I think it's like nine or ten days, and then from Cape Verde across the Atlantic is more or less three weeks. Wow! Yeah, that's, that's pretty. It's, that's pretty gnarly. So it's like three weeks of just, you know, solitude, sailing, um, reading books and catching fish. Did you, so, so yeah, maybe talk to us a little bit about, you know, being by yourself, the solitude, like to, to prepare for that. Did you like watch movies like Castaway? Did you make yourself your, uh, your own little Wilson? Um, so it's a really interesting experience and I think anyone can have this feeling you just have to spend a long period of time away from society and surrounded by nature and the thing that I found really profound about it is I feel like in day-to-day life you always have things that are stressful uh, and you know that might come from money or work or cars or jobs or relationships or whatever but there's always subtle um, mental pressures that you have and and like a baseline level of stress I guess but when you're sailing um life becomes quite straightforward and uncomplicated because all you have to focus on is the environmental conditions around you and sailing the boat. Um, And suddenly things like money and phones just cease to exist because you have no function for them. So I think it, it, it brings a, brings about this really nice simplicity. Uh, You know, like life becomes very uncomplicated when that, when you're dragging that out for weeks and weeks on end, Um, you know, you can focus on like catching fish, reading books, cooking, and sailing and I feel like it brings out this sort of raw authentic human nature that's been suppressed somewhat by living within you know like the 21st century century. yeah Yeah, cities and phones and yeah just getting back exactly to, to the the way things used to be yeah exactly and um and I found that really addictive I found it really euphoric and as soon as I discovered that, when I, well, back when I was 21, I, I knew straight away that I wanted to pursue this activity for as long as I could because it, it was, I, I felt addicted to that feeling, that simplicity and of spending weeks sailing. It, it's really cool. And is it, is it more the sailing portion or do you actually prefer the, the solo? No, I think it's definitely the sailing because since then I've done the Atlantic crossing with friends and I actually really enjoy doing it with other people as well because something that I realized when I was doing all this stuff by myself was that it was amazing because I was experiencing all these things but I had no one to share it with and after this one solo trip I came back to the UK and I knew that I could do it by myself and I'd had the experience of being by myself but I had this 
profound thought that I wanted to share it with, with as many people as possible. So I feel like the days of doing it by myself are probably over now, but I'm very, very glad that I did it. Yeah, it's, it's good. You know, it's, it's, it's almost like a test. You know you can do it because you went through it and you survived. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so another thing that I'm, I'm interested to find out is the amount of preparation required for a long trip like that in terms of, you know, uh, maybe the weather, the looking at food, water, like how, how do you prepare? Well, <clears throat> in terms of weather, the routes that we're following are sailing routes that have been well established for hundreds of years. So we're following the trade winds and we're staying away from hurricane season. Yeah. It's um, as long as you do everything at the right time of year, I mean, touch wood, you'll, you won't run into any weather. It's when you start to stray outside of the sailing season it's when you can, when things can start to get, get difficult. So the trip that I've planned and everything we've done so far has been sailing outside of the hurricane season in like, you know, pretty fair weather and weather-wise it's, it's, it's fine as long as, as long as the boat is set up to handle like when the weather does get bad if that does happen yeah. which is obviously really important but um yeah i mean i read a lot of books beforehand i read pretty much every sailing book <laughs> about guys about yeah about um you know from joshua slocum who's the first person to sail around the world to ellen MacArthur, she's english she set the the round the world speed record like like 10 years ago so it's, it's like stuff from like pro like you know, uh, these old school people doing really pioneering voyages to, you know, mo more modern sailors at like the peak of the sport, um, you know, like tearing around the world in the Southern Ocean uh, and just reading all these accounts, like reading about how they set up their boat, things that are important, um, things that go wrong. And, uh, and yeah, like meeting other sailors as well. As soon as you leave, you're just surrounded by other people doing a similar sort of thing. So like every time you meet someone, you can have a look at their boat and see how they've got things set up talk about lessons that you've learned and um and yeah i mean <clears throat> i was really naive when i left Falmouth for the first time and i had like a few like experiences that made me realize uh they were huge learning curves like this and, shit um, is real <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah uh, yeah. can, can you maybe talk about some of those things that, you know, you learned uh, along the way that you didn't expect? Um, so I guess the first thing that's really important is um, <clears throat> the importance of having an autopilot that can steer your boat for you. Because if you're sailing for three weeks, you don't want to be sat there driving the whole time. <laughs> so so <laughs> that's something that I think is, is really important, right? You, you have to be able to set the boat up to sail itself so you can do other things like cook and sleep and fix things and just generally like look after yourself so that was like the first thing that the first big lesson that I learned when I was by myself and I actually built a like a, a wind vane autopilot system which is really common on boats like on boats that cross oceans you have a you have an autopilot that uses the wind to steer your boat essentially and um and yeah learning how learning that about that was really important how to deal with the boat in like 
weather and waves, making sure everything's dry because if you have waves breaking over the boat and then that's leaking inside, getting all your stuff wet, it's just like the right. most miserable thing ever. Uh, were you did, so? Did you did you encounter any big storms on your journey? I know you said that yeah, you tried yeah. to avoid the the big the hurricanes, but I mean, weather changes, right? Yeah, I mean we did actually sail through a tropical depression which then developed into a hurricane like two or three days afterwards so we were actually being we were actually sailing on the edge of hurricane season and we got really close we were pretty lucky it was it was um off the coast of mexico chiapas and on the in the like on the pacific side of central america yeah and I, like before it was a five day sail and we saw the storm before we left it was just forming and and I made the decision decision to leave anyway because I felt like it was early enough for it not to build up like significant power but it would still be really windy but it was like coming in the right direction so it was just going to be behind us blowing us where we wanted in the direction that we wanted to go in and um it was fine you know like it it got to about 40, 45 knots, which is what we expected. That's sort of like the stage where you want to have almost no sail up. You have We had like a tiny little bit of sail up and we were still doing, um, you know, like going as fast as the boat can go. Um, but the thing that was really scary was the lightning, having rays of lightning stri- striking the water all around the boat. Because um, that's, you know, that's something which is pretty much all every sailor's nightmare is having lightning strike the mast. You've got this big metal stick sticking up into the sky. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, as soon as you get hit, you, the whole electrical system's fried. You can't start the engine. You can't use any of the nav equipment. So it's like a big deal, you know, um, and that coupled with the wind, the rain, the waves, it's just a really, really tiring and scary experience. Um, yeah. but yeah, there's been a, there's been a few, there was one off the Sahara desert. Like when we were coming down, to the Canary Islands, but um, and you have this this phenomenon. It's called a kalima. Basically, it's when the wind is from the east, whips all the sand and dust off the desert and blows it out into the sea. And oh. because because it's such a, I know it's I guess it's unobstructed land. Not really any topography. You can get you can you can just get crazy easterly winds that blow off the Sahara. And we just got caught out by one, and the wind was. 45 50 knots but but what made it really scary is all of this thick dust had blown off the desert so everything was orange we couldn't the visibility was just terrible all the ropes and the sails were covered in sand there were even dragonflies like all these desert creatures that had been like blown off with the gale so we had all these insects clinging to the mast and weird desert creatures um yeah, it can get you can get still get caught out, but luckily Elixir, she's a solid boat and it's a tough girl. She's, yeah, she's tough. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, yeah, that's that's crazy, man. That that would be, I guess, for me, ha- being someone who's never sailed, that would be probably my my biggest fear, like storms, just because I don't know. There's just you know movies about them. You only hear them in the news, you know, like, oh, there's a hurricane and somebody got stuck in the hurricane. But for you, you know, you, you said you, you've read a lot about sailing and you've done a lot of sailing. So putting it, it for you, I think it, it really puts it into perspective. You know, some of the early explorers like, uh, you know, Christopher Columbus and stuff like that, that must just blow your mind 
you know, being removed by, I don't know, two, two, three hundred years and still doing the same type of, of uh, journey that you did. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I feel like I'm more inspired by the, um, you know, like the self-funded ad- adventurers, like the, you know, like Joshua Slocum, the first guy to sail yeah. around the world. Um, Robin Knox Johnson, who was an English guy, the first guy to, guy to sail uh, non-stop single-handed around the world. These, these kind of sailors are the guys and girls that I, <clears throat> that I definitely get inspired by and in reading their books. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just really, it's just really cool. It's really cool to see what they've done. And I mean, there's still people out there. Like I met this guy, Trevor, an Australian guy, and he's the first, I'm pretty sure he's the only person ever to spend unassisted a winter unassisted in both the Arctic and Antarctica. So basically what he does is he sails his boat to Antarctica, finds a bay and ties up in this bay and then basically just lets the snow and ice like kind of freeze him in and he builds an igloo around his boat and then just kind of exists for the winter um, by himself, you know. So he's spending like a year alone in Antarctica. He did the same in the Arctic Circle and then um, we met him in the Caribbean and and, and he's just r- the most modest guy telling telling us these crazy stories about, you know, being alone in Antarctica. And and um, and I'm just like, you need to, like, write a book or make a video or something, because this is some really inspiring stuff. And like people need to hear this. And um, yeah, just, I just meeting people like that really. Um, yeah, it's really it's really cool. It's incredible what some people have done. Like what like honestly what I did, like sailing across the Atlantic is not a big deal at all. Like so many people have done that. It's like a really easy passage. It's a and big deal. It's did. a big deal to me, Max. I, I think that that's <laughs> fucking crazy. <laughs> I mean, there's people doing so much more um, impressive stuff all over the world. And um, and yeah, I mean, it's I'm really happy that sailing has given me the opportunity to meet these people as well. Yeah. No, it's 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 cool. Listen, man, you're you're very humble, but don't don't minimize what you did because that's still not something. You know, it may be it may be common in your circles, but in my circles, it isn't. So, con- congrats All on right. that. That's that's awesome. Cheers. So so for people who are you know maybe listening to this and they're like, hey, sailing sounds cool. Max is really you know inspiring me. I, I want to get into this. What are some of the maybe tips you'd give to people to to get into sailing? Yeah, so there's a few ways that you can do it. I mean, for someone who has zero experience, I would say learn how to sail a dinghy first. It's what I did. And once you can handle a dinghy, you can pretty much handle any boat. So it's like a really good place to start. And I mean, you can do that various ways. You can, um, if you live near a sailing club, you can just sign up to the sailing club and learn there. You can also just buy one and try it out for yourself. I feel like as... um, you know, if you do it on a lake or like somewhere controlled and do it in a sensible kind of way, obviously like do a bit of research before you, before you head out there. Um, and yeah, like learn on a dinghy is a really great way to, to get some experience. And once you've fully got that down, you can, you can take those skills and translate them to, uh, you know, like much bigger boats. Uh, Another way that you can do it is you can go on Facebook or like find a crew. There's, there's a load of websites where you can find people who will, take you on as crew and teach you everything mm. but also with this it's like it's important that you sort of like vet these people a little bit because i've had so many stories from my friends um who well not so many but like there's been a Something, fair yeah. few stories where mainly girls have like gone on a boat with some like creepy un- older guy and he's done something like he they can basically like some sailors can just 
totally ruin it. And um and yeah, there's a lot of older men that are just like um yeah, they're just not very cool. So I think no. I would like try and find a boat with like younger people if like if possible. So in fact, yeah, I mean find a crew, crew bay, just have a look on there, but just like don't just jump for like the first boat you see. Like definitely take a little bit of time to like vet each possible boat because if you're you know if you're like getting on a boat with someone you want to be 100 percent sure that they're they're a sound person yeah you got to um, know who you're bringing on right because you can't just exactly, leave yeah. midway yeah and then um and then what else can you do and then also like i mean i know a load of people that have just bought a boat with no experience and figured it out along the way and all of the resources that you need uh online or in writing on like um you know like on the internet youtube videos obviously for me like i had a i was really fortunate that my stepdad is a boat builder so when i was rebuilding the boat i could ask him for advice you know like what do i do about this situation and what do i do about this but there's always resources and people you can go to for advice and people are if you're willing like if you're willing to put the work in i i was really amazed at how lots of people are willing to help out especially within the sailing community it's a really it's a really friendly community as a whole and if someone can help you out they will um and you can buy cheap boats if you look on yacht world i was looking on it the other day and i saw a boat elixir size <clears throat> obviously it needed a lot of work but it was going for free um for free you know like some yeah it, literally you can get free boats people people get to their 80s and their 90s and they decide that they don't want to sail anymore and 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 the thing is with boats is you build such a emotional attachment to this thing that when you come to sell it, the most important thing is it goes to the right person. So if you if you meet meet someone who's enthusiastic and is willing to put the work in to maintain this thing that you love, then people will um, people will sell boats for very cheap. This is what happened with my friend in Bermuda. You know, like yeah. he saw this boat that he was instantly in love with, and he he went to the gu- to the guy who was selling it and wrote him a letter saying look i'm going to like i'm going to like love this boat you know i'm going to i'm going to restore her and i'm going to go sailing with her and this is what i'm going to do and the guy chose that over you know like another 10 20 grand or whatever wow so sometimes a, yeah, so, a personal letter may soften the price a little bit yeah and um and yeah there's there's uh all sorts of websites where you can find boats going for free and awesome well let's get into q and a All right, Max, welcome to Q&A. Q&A is just a segment so that people can get to know you a bit better. So first question, okay. hot or cold? Cold. Let's go. Mm. I love I love the cold. I live in Canada, right? So uh, <laughs> beach or mountains? Oh, definitely beach. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Bus or train? Um, train, I think. Do you want me to expand on these or a one word? Oh, you can expand okay. if, if you want. Yeah, I definitely prefer trains than buses. They're just... Um, they're just more chill for some reason. I don't know why. They just are. They they also like don't move as much, right? So if you're like, I mean, in Europe, in Europe, they, they don't move as much. In Canada, man, our trains, not the same situation. It's yeah, oh, really? uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think I'd take a, a a bus in in North America, but I'd take a train in Europe, hundred percent. Really? Yeah. Cats or dogs? Um, dogs definitely. I'm allergic to cats. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Top or bottom <laughs> bunk? um do you know what i like i i didn't stay in a hostel until really recently because i was always staying on the boat and when we were in columbia it was like the first time i stayed in a hostel because we decided to go off inland top 
Nice. Uh, so, so how was your first experience? Was it good or not? In a hostel? Yeah. Yeah, it was great. I loved it. <laughs> it was. Yeah, yeah it was really good. The, the, we we stayed at um on uh Costeño Beach, which is on the northern Caribbean coast of Colombia, and yeah. um, oh, it was so cool. It was so cool. Yeah, met some really met some really cool people. That's what that's what I like about it is like sailing. You're in these beautiful anchorages, and you do meet other sailors. Um, but obviously there's less people around whereas when you're staying in a hostel it's just like such a cool atmosphere loads of people from all over the world you meet some really interesting travelers and yeah there's there's just so many advantages in my opinion to, to hostels you know you get the latest the most latest information you can right you can read in your guidebook and it'll be what like published five years ago six years ago mm-hmm. or instead you can just go to the person that was there yesterday and ask them like hey how should i do this or should i go there right yeah what is your favorite sports team <clears throat> um don't know i don't know about that one probably the probably the england no i reckon it's the england football team fair enough you, yeah. you excited for world cup um i will be when it starts i'm not like a massive fan but when it's on i like i'm into it sunrise or sunset sunrise nice if you had a superpower what would it be um a superpower um <laughs> i say that's a bit of a funny one but i i would really like to breathe underwater i think that would be insane <laughs> i like being underwater but it's just you, you can never spend enough time down there before you have to come up again yeah Max I mean, I the guess Aquaman. I yeah <laughs> <laughs> if you could have a beer with one person from history dead or alive who would it be and why um well, I actually don't drink alcohol, but I would I'd maybe like a coffee or a tea or something. Yeah, let's go tea. Um, tea, yeah. Um, let me think about that for a second. I think it would be this guy that I keep on rattling on about, Joshua Slocum, who is the first guy to sail around the world, because I'd love to know about why, where does that motivation come from? Like, where do you, how do you just decide that you're going to do something like that? Especially coming from like the um, 19th century when, you know, it was just like so unthinkable to go out and attempt something like that. Yeah. Um, I think that'd be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What's something you never travel without? Um... I mean, this is, it's probably different for most, um, most other travelers, but the most important thing is probably a knife for me because it's, uh, yeah, it's like absolutely essential on a boat and pretty much use it for everything. Opening coconuts is the most used tool on elixir. And, um, yeah, I think it's, 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 it's super important. Filling fish probably too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, everything, everything. Like we're is- living off, we're living off these, like, Pretty, pretty uninhabited uninhabited islands a lot of the time you know so we're catching fish lobsters coconuts and um and yeah a lot of you know like making food with your hands opening up coconuts and cracking open lobsters and stuff which yeah. i love you know it's, it's really cool yeah it's, it's definitely a good survival uh survival tool yeah for sure what is your favorite world attraction um we when we're in when we were in Colombia, we hiked to La Ciudad Perdida, which is an ancient civilization in the jungle, which nice. uh, was, it's a really interesting story. It was originally inhabited by like 5,000 um, indigenous people that lived in the Sierra Nevada National Park there in Colombia. And nice. when the Spanish colonizers came, they never made it as far as the city, but they got close and all the people that lived there 
knew that they were coming, so they abandoned the city and went up into the mountain, because there's like a mountain there, they went up further up and just left it. And then for like three or 400 years, it was uninhabited. Um, obviously, like the indigenous people there still knew about it, but none of the Spanish settlers knew about it until only like 50 years ago, a Colombian farmer just stumbled upon the remains of this big city um, and just destroyed the whole place searching for gold and indigenous treasures basically um kept it a secret for a few years and then for a long time it was inaccessible because of the violence going on between the guerrilla groups and the paramilitaries in that part of the country and yeah. then recently it's been sort of turned into a tourist attraction that you can hire a guide and hike to um which is sad in a lot of ways because obviously it's this sacred town that was um you know, home to thousands of people, which has become a tourist attraction. But also at the same time, it's like, um, it's really fascinating to go there and appreciate this history and learn about how, uh, you know, how like the country has come about and um, and just learning about the, the rich culture that comes from that part of the world. I think that, yeah, I mean, it's it's a really cool place, older than Machu Picchu, but yeah, I feel like not a lot of people know about it. No, I yeah, I I actually was in in Colombia in uh, in June, and we were around oh, that nice. area, and didn't have the time to go and do the trek. But I heard about it, and I was like, "Fuck, I'd love to do that." Oh, it's so cool! Now we're actually doing uh, in September, or at the end of September, we're going to uh, to Machu Picchu. So we're, I guess you know maybe not going to the, the lost city, but we're at least doing one that was. Uh, you know, found recently. Yeah, nice, nice, nice. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a that's a really good one, man. Which country has the yeah. best cuisine? And you can't say England. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> fish and chips. <laughs> um, I'm af- I'm afraid it does have. To, it's got to be a European country. <laughs> it just, I uh, I, I don't know. I do like French and Italian food. Um, but I haven't actually seen that much of the world, you know, because I've been I've been Europe, obviously, Caribbean, South America and Central America. And I feel like from what I've seen, I definitely personally prefer the food in Europe a lot more, um, especially like France and Italy. Two, two, two staples, though. I haven't seen enough, really, to, to have a good enough answer to that question. <laughs> uh, what is the most underrated country that you've been to? Underrated. Yeah. Um, One that maybe people aren't don't have on their radar. I don't want to say it because then everyone will go there. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I, I, um, have you heard about the the Azores, the islands, the Portuguese islands in the middle of the Atlantic? Yeah. They're amazing. Just incredible. And um, maybe because they're so ro- remote, no one really no one really goes there because they're out there in the middle of the ocean. But um, in terms of nature, it's it's subtropical. Uh, it's like a, it's a subtropical climate and it's just so beautiful and the people there are really cool and friendly and um, yeah, it's just this oasis of beautiful uh, greenery in the middle of the Atlantic and, and that was a really special place for me. Is that the place that had recently uh, a volcano erupt? Uh, that's the Canary Islands. Okay, it's Canary. Mm, they're okay, Spanish, right. they're, they're, they're a bit different. Nice. location they're down towards africa yeah yeah yeah. i, I knew it was a, there was a, a portuguese island somewhere that or, or canary or spain span spain islands right they're spanish the canaries spanish. yeah yeah where's somewhere you'd never go back um probably to curacao which is really yeah it's a dutch island in the in the caribbean because sometimes when you're on a boat life can just be hard 
if you if if for example in curacao where you anchor the boat it's really far away from anything so to get even food or water from a shop you need to walk through like the really hot it's like a desert island so you're just walking along you either pay for a really expensive taxi or walk a, a long way in the heat and um and it's just not i felt like it wasn't set up that well for being on a sailing boat and life it's just it can be quite hard sometimes so i probably wouldn't probably wouldn't go back there nice which i mean it's yeah where did you experience the least friendly locals least friendly yeah um probably probably in the uk to be honest (laughs) (laughs) um what so um well generally locals are really friendly the only time when they can be unfriendly is when you're surfing i find like the there's a lot of localism around surfing which can be quite like hostile and unfriendly and um and yeah so like like whilst we've been surfing in the water a lot in the canary islands a little bit in panama as well um portugal uh yeah all these places have groups of surfers that just do not want foreigners coming and surfing their waves which is kind of fair enough but also i think i think that it's a little bit hypocritical because then you're kind of saying that you can't ever go and surf anywhere else and also like i just feel like the ocean should be shared by everyone anyway so um but yeah you do get a lot of uh overly aggressive surfers in in these places yeah it is an unfortunate reality uh with surf communities sometimes there's uh especially if it's like really crowded right yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and and, uh, listen i gotta i gotta i gotta mention or uh address you know you 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 talking saying least friendly locals was in in uk i had great time Mm -hmm. people were super nice i went to uh bogner regis to where bogner regis near uh portsmouth oh yeah yeah did you see any fossils what's that did you see any fossils no there's a lot of fossils on that region yeah the jurassic coast no i um one of my buddies uh brought me over there because he he was from there and we literally just went like to the bars there so shout out to the boys out there because i know they're listening oh yeah nice (laughs) all right so now we can get into top five top five okay so i've just written a list of um what i think my top five favorite I guess tropical destinations that we've sailed to, but from you know this trip so far that we've been on from the UK down to Mexico, sure, the Pacific goes to Mexico. Sounds good. So just start at number and, five and at number one. So um, number five, I've got Oaxaca in Mexico, which I love because the there's a really some really interesting culture in Oaxaca City and then on the coast you have some great surfing there's a load of amazing right hand point breaks that go all down that coastline um and Mexicans are just the coolest and then number four I have the Grenadines which are part of St Vincent and these 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 are really special islands because there's a, a high concentration of small islands which are great for sailing they're part of the same country so you can hop between islands freely without having to deal with customs and are, are customs a uh, usually a big big problem when you're going to different places um only only because 
you know, if you arrive in a new country, you have to deal with customs yourself. It's not yeah. like an airport where it's just at the airport and you do it as you come off the plane. You have to come and come ashore, f- go to the customs office and take all your paperwork and then they sort it and then you go back to the boat. So, yeah, it, it's, it is an added bit of stress for sure. And then, um, yeah, so number four, the Grenadines. Number three, I've got the Osa Peninsula in Costa Rica, which is really cool because when we were anchored there, there was so much biodiversity and wildlife. Pretty much every time we came ashore, we'd see some sort of new animal or creature that we had never seen before. And it's just really interesting to be walking back to the boat at night and see all these things that you had no idea existed. It's just just a really cool place. What what I've heard too from Costa Rica is that the... Caribbean coast is a, is a little less commercial, commercialized, so it's cool that you got to see that side. Because apparently the Pacific side, there's a lot more, you know, hotels, that type of thing. Yeah. So it's, well, this is on the Pacific side. Oh, it was on the Pacific side. Okay. It's very far south, though. So we, we went to the Caribbean side. Okay. Um, and we, but on the Pacific side, it, it's south near the border with Panama, there's almost nothing. Then as you get further and further north, it gets more and more developed. So you cross the Panama um, Canal. Is that how you? went around yeah okay yeah. nice what was that like really interesting yeah it's like uh it's um so how do i describe it so yeah it's just this big process it takes a whole day and you come in at like we came in at 6 p.m and spent the night sleeping in the canal and then spent all of the next day like motoring through the canal with these big cargo vessels coming past us and you take on a you take on a pilot at this Panamanian comes and uh, you know like instructs you to go through all the locks because it's not at sea level it's 18 meters above sea level so you have to go up in locks which are big concrete basins that fill up with water and then the majority of the canal is above sea level and you're like you know you're like motoring your way through the jungle is really interesting and wow. then you come back down again in the Pacific um, it's a really cool experience and learning about the history of the canal I found really interesting as well um, yeah, and then you just arrive. It was my first time in the Pacific, and it was really cool to just arrive with Elixir and, yeah, start sailing north. Nice. Yeah, and then number two, I've got Bocas del Toro in Panama because it's a really cool place to have a boat because there's so many little islands. There's some great waves there, and, um, again, some really, really friendly locals. Um, and then number one, I've got the Caribbean coast of Colombia because not a lot of sailors are going there, and there's some really really special places that you can go where it's like really remote and uh and you know like beautiful um scenery and jungle and yeah it's just it's really special and also colombian people are just i think some of the friendliest people i've met yeah absolutely did you go like on the coast like the tirona region yeah so we were we were anchored in a lot of those bays in the tirona national park okay nice um and yeah they're really cool and you can go even further up you can go all the way up to um Cabo de la Vela which is like the most northern part of South America it's kind of like a desert there but there's a little peninsula that hooks around and you can you can anchor up there uh yeah it's just it's cool yeah Colombia's <laughs> awesome man I, I literally don't think I, I've done an episode that we haven't talked about Colombia yet really yes yeah, <laughs> I loved it as well yeah Story time. Carrying on a bit from my story earlier, when I when I was 
20 I left the, the UK on Flying Cloud, this little wooden boat that I bought for £500 and made it all the way down to the Cape Verde Islands in Africa. I was by myself at that point and, um, and then left to sail across the Atlantic by myself uh, on, which was, you know, it's quite a big deal because I was young and like kind of naive, but there's a lot worse things you could be doing at 21. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just felt like I could do it and I really wanted to do it. So I, so yeah, so I left, I, spent pretty much all of my money on three weeks worth of food and then left on the crossing and it was amazing i spent all this time by myself and i really enjoyed the solitude i really enjoyed just the simplicity of spending weeks and weeks sailing and i was reading loads of books and catching fish and yeah i was loving it but two days before i reached the caribbean i had a accident with my paraffin stove so i i cooked on paraffin which is this ancient archaic way of cooking basically it's this uh metal stove and it's got these brass tanks full of paraffin and then a little cup that you fill full of alcohol and you burn the alcohol off and it heats up the hob and then you pump in the paraffin and it atomizes and it burns in this really hot jet so that was how i was cooking at, at the time and the stove wasn't gimbaled which means it didn't rock as the boat rocked so as flying cloud was moving the stove was moving as well and oh shit yeah, I had to, the boat was rocking so much that I had to pour in a little bit of the alcohol, light it, burn it off and pour in a little bit more. And um, basically it ended up with about half a litre of this methylated spirit alcohol exploding in my hand. I was half naked. The whole inside of the boat just is on fire. It was really painful. It was like just straight away this really excruciating pain. And yeah, I went into this adrenaline um, sort of state I didn't really think but I ran outside and jumped into the sea which is like a great idea but also a terrible idea at the same time because it put the fire out but if I let go then the boat would have just sailed away and I would have been floating so you were you were engulfed in flames when you yeah. jumped off your boat like what por- what parts are you were on fire well I was wearing I was wearing trackies right so I was like my top half was naked yeah so I was just all on flames like the whole top bit of me um, holy shit man yeah, but I held on with one hand, luckily, because if I didn't, then I would have just been left there swimming around in the middle of the ocean. There's no way you could survive that. And uh, and then I climbed back on the boat. Everything's blistering up already. Like, I have these big blisters forming all over my shoulders and my chest. Um, like, yeah, like a lot of skin showing, you know, like it's all oh. being burnt off. My face is all fucked up as well. Holy and, um, shit. And, and, then, and at this point, where are you at on your journey? Like, are you almost there so or are you halfway? Two, yeah, I was very nearly there. I was, but I was still two days away, but like... Holy man. Yeah, and the inside of the boat was on fire. So I threw a bucket of seawater inside the boat to put the fire out. And then I, uh, yeah, just like treated my burns. Because I know about first aid, so I know what to deal. I know how to deal with the situation. And then sailed for um like two days pretty much to get so your to or your hands and, also burned um, a little bit like on the tops of my hands yeah but i could still use them okay and, good. um good yeah yeah and i yeah my body was like in shock i was hallucinating getting really really cold holy shit yeah it was crazy it was crazy um but like what do you mean yeah, you were hallucinating like what were you seeing like um i wasn't like i wasn't like having um you know, I wasn't like tripping. I was just, yeah. ha- I was just didn't really have much of a grasp of reality at times. Wow. And um, all of my senses were just all over the place. 
yeah, I was, I, it was, it was, yeah, it was just a fucking nightmare. Basically I, it was, it was close. It was like, I was really on the edge, but I always knew that I would make it. And then when I did arrive after two days, I pumped up my dinghy and then went to hospital for a week and spent the time, most of the time on a drip. Everything was like, uh, bandaged up. It was really, yeah, it was really bad. Holy Um, man. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, you know, if you, I had second degree burns over like 10 to 12% of my body. So if you, if you imagine like 1% of your body is your hand, right? I had 10 to 12 hands where my skin had been burnt off completely. And, um, and to like recover from that, you can't be out in the sun. Like you can't be in the sunshine. So I was like, right, I'm, I'm going to have to spend a year without being in the sun, which obviously means I can't go sailing. Yeah. So I, I left flying cloud in the Caribbean and went back to the UK for a whole year. And it, it was like a whole year of recovery because there was the, um, there was the physical side of thing, like healing the burns, but there, there was also like the mental side of things. And, um, and first of all, I was trying to deal with this intense physical trauma. And then I was also trying to deal with the fact that everyone was talking about it. Like it was in newspapers and I couldn't, um, I couldn't speak to anyone that, you know, like if I, if there was someone that I hadn't seen, seen for a bit, I couldn't talk to them without them saying something like, like commenting on the incident. Bringing it back. And yeah, if you're trying to deal with trauma, the worst thing, what well, well, I felt like the worst thing that people can do is use that trauma to identify you so yeah. and that was essentially what was happening all of these people was sometimes people even make jokes about it they'd be like oh yeah make sure you got a bet get a better cooker next time you know and like and 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 i was trying to process everything that happened i felt like i'd failed because obviously the trip had taken this crazy turn yeah and and then there were people like commenting on it all the time joking about it like i knew everyone was talking about it and it's like i was still trying to process this I still couldn't even understand how I wasn't dead and um and the last thing I wanted was everyone like talking about it bringing it up all the time so overcoming that was a big part of it and but I did you know it took me like it took me about eight months and I there were times when it was like really really dark like I I like genuinely struggled with like crippling anxiety and depression for a long period of time but I like I came out of the other side and I learned so much from that whole experience. I learned how to, it taught me a lot about not letting other people's opinions or affect my ego or just, just not, not, not letting other people's comments get to you because I had to, I had to find out a way to um, deal with, deal with it in order to get over the situation. Um, And thankfully, like I only, I have like some scars on my body, but nothing really that bad. And um, yeah, it was, it was all good in the end. And um, I went back out to the Caribbean and like rescued flying cloud and then sailed back to the UK. And it was, it was, it was, if that trip didn't have the, you know, those highs and lows yeah. then, or like the adversity that I had to overcome, then I feel I wouldn't, there's no way that I would have emerged like as strong and resilient as I feel like I am now because it was such a big hurdle to overcome, you know, and it, it, that's the same with any traveling, any adversity that anyone has when they're traveling, I think. Yeah, man, listen, that's, that's that's crazy like i i feel like i i felt a bit of what you went through you explaining that like that was yeah it's it's crazy man like (laughs) yeah it is a crazy story yeah i mean when's the book coming out (laughs) (laughs) there is a book coming out there is some point (laughs) at some point there will be a book coming out yeah yeah man because yeah that's that's crazy like i i i think of like i i guess i've 
I've been in other types of situations that you sort of like you that, you know, kind of one step the wrong way, you know, you don't hold on to your boat. Like you're kind of done for like, it's, yeah. it's just your, your reaction, your, your will to survive somehow kicks in. Right. And you just, yeah, you like in your situation, you had no choice but to just endure and you just, you did it, man. So like, congrats. Like that's wow. It's, it's just such an inspiring story. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man. So listen, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, no, it's been good to chat. Thank you. Yeah, man. It, what, what a story. <laughs> Last question for you, I guess, Max is what's next. Um, so the Pacific is next. We're going to sail across the Pacific this winter and leave Mexico in February, March time. And then go to French Polynesia and Fiji, a few other islands and eventually arrive in New Zealand. Um, so that's the next part of the journey. Nice. I always say last question and then the guest always says something super cool. So then I'm like, I want to know more about it. How does <laughs> preparing for the Atlantic Ocean differ to preparing for the Pacific Ocean? Mm, well, the the main difference is obviously the Pacific is a lot more remote. So instead of, uh, instead of two and a two and a half thousand miles it's more like five thousand miles oh wow um, so and and you want to spend as much time as possible on the islands in between some of which don't have uh much access to water it's much more of a commodity and so basically you want to, the boat wants to be set up for being remote and off-grid for a long period of time so i'm actually in the process of buying a water maker which makes fresh water from salt water and okay, nice. uses this the power from the solar panels on the boat so the solar which is charging the batteries which are then generating fresh water from the salt water so you don't have to worry about like filling up with water all the time filling your jugs up and stuff which is a which is a big part of it um other than that like the weather in the they call it the peace ific because it's much more benign than the atlantic the atlantic's actually quite windy um yeah yeah i think i think i think there's not there's not there's not many huge differences you just have to prepare for being for like living off grid for a longer period of time nice and are you and sorry did you, did you say are you planning to do that solo or are you doing with with some friends no 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 i'm i'm taking a, a few friends with me awesome on one. well listen I, yeah. I look forward to uh to seeing you know the updates on your on your insta and your social thank you your tiktok thank you and, and just to remind people it's untied so u-n-t-i-d-e at yeah un.tied un.tied right yeah and i have a youtube channel as well which i've just, which I, i've sort of just started that but it's going pretty well yeah definitely check out um, his content great stuff if you want to see if you want to get into sailing if you want to see what the what around the world looks like basically but anyways thanks thanks so much for coming on max much. opening up you know inspiring the people and uh thank you best of luck on your travels and your uh, hopefully you can safe safe sails cheers right, cheers buddy. i appreciate it thanks Thank you for listening to Two Beers Till Takeoff. Do you want free additional content or just to stay connected with the show? Then give us a follow on our social media platform. That means TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all of them. Are you in need of podcast production services, video editing, or anything in between? Then look no further than Strut Sound Productions, the official producer of the Two Beers Till Takeoff podcast. Music produced by Alex Gagne. Check out his work in our show notes. Voiceover done by Viking Leo K. See you next week on Two Beers Till Takeoff. Thank you.